Hello and welcome to episode 354 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. And you know what edition this episode is for the return of Bobby Wagner to Seattle. It's the B-Wags edition of the Pelton cast. It certain, most certainly is, yes. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that that's going to happen. Here's the thing that happened this week. Was uh, middleest fantasy genius Marco was playing Super Mario World, right? And it's got the bar that's going up and down. And then he got a 29 on there. And I was like, you got to name a player that is the number that you got on the bar in Super Mario World. And he was just like, what'd you say? And I'm like, Earl <laughs> Thomas, but okay. And I was like, I feel like other people had to have done this. This can't just be us. This has to be a universal thing that you name a player from the 90s who is, I mean, obviously Earl Thomas isn't, but you name a player who springs to mind from a Seattle sports team of the time. Uh, Not always Seattle, though. Sometimes it could be a national player. Well, Jordan, on the of course. But I mean, you know, there were various numbers who didn't have anyone that specific associated with them in Seattle sports that you would go national. So... I hope this is true for other people, though, that they did this. Have we mentioned this on the podcast before? I feel like it has to have come up at some point. It must have. It must let's have remember up. some years. Although it's, it's one of those things where it's like you feel like it would have been on like a like like swinger style movie, right? Yes. That they would have mentioned it, but I can't think of it in any media. Well, we're gonna have to make a movie then. Guess it turns. That's out. it. <laughs> that was the thing holding me back. <laughs> I've got the last scene. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I was listening to Chuck Klosterman and Bill Simmons, and Klosterman mentioned that, like, the the period where everyone was at home during the pandemic, it was, like, when people should have been writing books, uh-huh. if they were ever going to write books. And that, like, felt so true to me that I was like, if I didn't write a book then, I, it's just not happening I remember hearing soon. that, like, somebody was talking about that. I think Chuck Klosterman, so there was somebody else maybe who was just like, if you didn't do it now, you're done. Just, like, <laughs> give up on the idea. <laughs> Maybe someday. Uh, should we get into this week's beer? Absolutely, we should. From our friends at Matchless Brewing Hello. in Tumwater, who really do beers with eye-catching designs that manage to convince me to pick them out when I'm looking for a beer and don't have a particular theme for that episode. Uh, this is the Bridge Hazy Pale Ale, dedicated to a true lo- Tumwater landmark in one of our favorite local parks. The Bridge is a Thurston County icon. Oh, there we go. The Sturdy Pale Ale is trussed with citra, mosaic, and nectaron. I've, I've not heard of those hops. <laughs> For big flavors of mango, apricot, and grapefruit, fermentation with Capri yeast unveils an expanse of tropical and citra aromas. All of this is supported by raw premium Pilsner and Gambrinus honey mo- melted oats. For a foamy head is white. Is the rapids below? You made up like sixty percent of those words, <laughs> including tum water. Yes. Yes. Ooh. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> we have determined that I have visited it several times to go to the uh, go to the Costco there. Oh, wow. or the okay. Fred Meyer. All right, depending on the situation. Well, uh, we've got some toasts. You're just going right in and drinking. Well, let's start with a reminder about Pelton Cast Live. Oh my God. Because tickets are dwindling even further after we mentioned on the Geno Smith emergency pod, which we have, has not come up yet, that we are under 10 Dwindling tickets. Dwindling is a very hilarious way to describe tickets. 
They're going fast. So we are now at even fewer tickets. I think we're at seven. Seven tickets left for Pelton Cast Live. So if you're going to go, now is the time to make that decision and get your tickets. Friday, April 21st at Belltown Yacht Club. We haven't mentioned this. This was the last time we, were, we talked about boating wear. Uh, it was uh, strictly not, not a cool attire. What? Nautical, Nautical attire. attire. Sorry. That's... Nautical attire was strictly required. This time, we have got rin- gotten rid of the dress code. <laughs> That's a, we've relaxed it. You know, it's, it's, it's after the pandemic. A lot of these dress codes aren't what they used to be. It is merely advised. <laughs> it's optional. Uh, you know what to expect from Pelton Cast Live. Uh, honestly, you'll hear Randy describe it on Talkin' Taco Time later this week because Randy just with a powerhouse description of... Pelton Cast Live. He, nobody can describe it better than him, but you know what to expect. Come hungry to Pelton Cast Live. Bingo, trivia questions, exclusive Pelton Cast merch? Question mark? <laughs> uh, plus, the Seahawks, for now, will be drafting fifth in the draft? <laughs> they will have many draft picks in the first two rounds. I, I think we can say that confidently. And an NFL draft preview with the Ringers draft guru, Danny Kelly, the first ever guest on Peltoncast Live way back in the day when we were not close to selling out. Tickets were free back Literally then. Literally free. Literally free. This time, we haven't mentioned this in a while, tickets are $10. We have not mentioned that. 100% of profits will be donated to some cause. <laughs> we have still not determined that. Tickets will be donated to some cause? Not even the human fund. Talking Taco Time Live with all four of the Talking Taco Time co-hosts. This is a great bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Again. Tickets dwindling. Dwindling. <laughs> Tickets dwindling? <laughs> <sighs> well, on a more somber note, we are this week remembering memorable UW football player Joe Jarzinka, who was found dead Sunday at age 45 while fishing in Clallam County. Jarzinka was most memorable for his 1998 season for the Huskies when he had a career-high 402 yards retrained punts, highlighted by a 91-yard touchdown that was key to a win over Cal. There we go. And also served as kicker much of the season, making six field goals in 19 extra points, including the one after the touchdown he scored. I had to go, like, go through extensive research to double-check that because I was certain... Had this ever happened? I mean, I'm sure at some point it must have happened, like a, a fake... You know, a kicker randomly goal. scores a touchdown right. or whatever. Something like that. But certainly it was to us uh, as teenagers, it was a novel thing and, and quite memorable. I like the idea that to us as te- now that we're older, we're used to wide receiver punt returners kicking, obviously. Yes. Yes. It's m- much more common these days. So, I mean, that wasn't serious. Uh, Jarzinka earned all Pac-10 first-team honors that season as an all-purpose player, and then as a senior, when he did not kick, had a 55-yard touchdown catch on a trick play in the Apple Cup. Another there we go. notable highlight. A win? A win, yes. There we go. Yeah, so uh, an incredibly memorable UW career and uh, uh, a tragedy to lose him so young. I think Joe Jarzinka, when we're looking back, let's say this modern era of Husky football is, say, 1990 on, right? In a larger era. And I think Joe Jarzinka is up there with, like, one of the 
10 to 15 most memorable players in this time period at UW just because of these achievements, right? And and his size, his unwillingness to ever fair catch as a punt returner was something that also stood out about him. He started out as a walk-on. Uh, Where's he from? Locks, uh, somewhere in the, the Seattle area. Okay. Let me, let me double-check that. But it, but it was just like the... When he added the kicking, that was it. Like Gig Harbor. Gig Harbor, okay. Other shots to Gig Harbor. Yeah. Yeah, all out. Uh, some water, I don't know. But when he added the kicking on top of everything else, he was already the type of player who would end up being pretty beloved. Right? right? Like third string wide receiver, punt returner who never fair caught, and then this motherfucker is kicking. And well, right? This wasn't like an embarrassment. Well, he hit 16 out of... Or, it was 19 out of 22 extra points, which was apparently better than the kickers who were previously making. But then six out of eight field goals, six including out of eight a pretty long goals. one in the Apple Cup that year. I mean, that is an awesome performance to be able to do that. Just literally doing everything you can on the football field. Uh, and Joe Jarzinka, was a, he was a fun player. Again, like the point of doing this is to have fun, the point of paying attention. And it's players like Joe Jarzinka who made the Husky football program a fun program over the last 30 years. I I had missed this previously in Bob Condota's story about this. Condota covered the Huskies at the time. After that punt return for a touchdown, he ran to the fence behind the end zone and shook it in an attempt to get noticed by ESPN. And so... Shook the fence? Shook the fence. Wow, okay. A slightly different fence than the one that we were shaking in the end zone, but... He approved of shaking the fence. Apparently so. Uh, Anyway, it's a... A tragic loss and a very memorable uh, tenure at UW that Joe Jarzinka had. For sure. All right, and happier news. Congrats to UW baseball player Kiefer Lord, who was named Pac-12 Pitcher of the Week and National Pitcher of the Week by Perfect Game after throwing six perfect innings Saturday against Northern Colorado, striking out 10 batters. No Husky pitcher had won Pac-12 Pitcher of the Week since 2018. UW baseball off to a 10-2 and start under first-year Head coach Jason Kelly. Hello. Am I going to go to a UW baseball game this year? So thanks to the listener, Grant Wojohn, for passing this along. We'll see if we add, add UW baseball to the rundown. We'll see. They have to earn it. They got to earn it. Yeah. They got to earn it. Uh, Kiefer Lord. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was I was scrolling through TikTok, and there was a UW baseball player showing his like him putting on his uniform for the day. And I was just like, damn, UW baseball. All right. <laughs> I was just excited to see it at all. Have they embraced the real? <laughs> embraced the real. <laughs> a call to the future. The first of multiple of those in this very <laughs> podcast. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, staying on the UW honors throwing, congrats to Keon Brooks Jr. for earning all Pac-12 second team honors. While Braxton Mia was selected to the all defensive team and Keon Menafield selected for to the all freshman team. All right, our last toast this week. Congrats to a pair of Storm players who earned all WNBL honors. Sammy Whitcomb was named to the first team, while 20-year-old Jade Melbourne was part of the second team, along with former Storm forward Steph Talbot. With that, I think it's time to get into our unique donut segment this week. It's time to get to the bottom of a mystery (sighs) that our Talking Taco Time co-host, Randy Cote, brought to our attention. QFC Donuts... Top Pot Donuts at QFC and Fred Meyer, are they the real Top Pot Donuts? And to answer that question, there was only one way we could do it that we know how to do it at the Pelton Cast, and that's a taste test. <laughs> <laughs> so we have here the Talking Taco Time panel, 
Stay tuned for more from, uh, from this group later this week. Ready to talk about the donuts not only from Top Pod, from Top Pod at QFC in this case, but also Safeway Donuts. Wow. We're talking Top Pod. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Do the thing. Do the thing. Oh. I love it. Oh, boy. Randy. Fresh, fresh. Is it fresh? <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> Randy, Kevin told me that we got an email about donuts. And when I heard it was from you, <laughs> I, I don't think I shared that it was from Randy, did I? It's no, just like, like on the podcast. Yeah, you yeah. said this is from Randy. Yeah, my I, favorite part is that Randy sent that like late on a Saturday night. I am really coming, coming home from a date at like <laughs> one in the morning. Great time. He's showing me. off that they were going on a date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were just thinking about it late at night, Randy? No, I, this is mainly, I mean, so I love a donut. I, I consider myself well-traveled in the world of donuts. You're giving okay. us your donut credentials. The, uh, <laughs> I mean, if we must. Um, but no, I mean, that, yeah, I, top pot, I, very loyal to Top Pot. There was a, a year or so in my life where that was like a morning routine thing for me on my way from the train downtown to the Space Needle. I'd walk on Fifth Avenue, stop in for a Top Pot. It was a little ritual. So I developed a, a very keen taste for what a Top Pot donut is mm-hmm. supposed to be. Top Pot palette. My top pop pop palette is premium. And um, so, yeah, when the QFC top pop thing, as I mentioned in the email, I would have a coworker. By the way, now that we're in a taco time, what is it with my coworkers ordering from the wrong taco time, Uh. bringing in the wrong donuts? Anyway, if you're listening. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, the... Like someone would bring That's going to be in. part of the interview process for the social media job. <laughs> Talk to me about it. Anyway. So that's a, a callback yeah. to a joke that has not yet. <laughs> when it does, full circle. This is yeah. like. It's called a call forward. Yeah, yeah this is like is. the Marvel universe. Uh, have you, you seen don't a know it's a callback until you before. see the thing later. <laughs> and so I had a coworker that would bring in the, the QFC Top Pots. And you can tell because they're in a box uh-huh. with a big old QFC logo on them. It looks mm-hmm. like a, a Top Pot box, but it's got this logo. And then you'd eat them, and as someone who has a very well-refined top pot palate, not, do not they do not rate with me at all. And people are just living their life, sending out emails saying, "There's top pot donuts in the kitchen," <laughs> and I don't want to say I'm that guy replying all and being like, "Fake news! There there are QFC yeah. donuts in the kitchen." <laughs> Or standing by the box being like, oh, yeah, that's really good. Hey, if you want to try a real maple old-fashioned, you know, walk on down the street to Top Hot Donut and try one. I view you going like spotlight. They knew. They knew and they lied. Yeah. They were. Yeah. I, I need to know when the, what the president knew and when. Okay. We're getting Watergate on this shit. I'm Woodward. You're Bernstein, Chris. Okay. Anyway. So I, I don't get to be one of more. <laughs> <laughs> either either. I prefer to be deep throat, but I'll take what I can get. <laughs> so this this is where my my ire comes from is that I have long held this belief, and I think it was Tristan made the the comment of you know as the the top pot empire grows or any empire food grows the quality can go down and often does we've seen other places but i think this is just but not a, a taco time northwest yes. oh clearly oh, yeah. not a taco no, time northwest not even close. reminder we are cl- we are actually in a taco time northwest right now again you don't know this until tomorrow but we are anyway so i'm glad you opened the through the door open to to have the conversation to expose the big lie about qfc air quote top pot donuts i mean so, how far 
up the chain does this go? Like how deep is <laughs> this go? CEO of Kroger involved in this? <laughs> I don't know. I think this this happened. I think this happened pre Kroger purchase. Because the Top Hot Donuts have been have been at QFC allegedly for quite some time. When did the no? The, I don't, I don't know Kroger the timeline. Here. Kroger has like, owned them for a long time. Okay. I think this was part of the Kroger purchase. Part of the deal. Yes. <laughs> they, they, yeah. That was a key part of <laughs> They the bought the recipe. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, but instead of 31 spices or whatever it is for a KFC, <laughs> 13, 13, 13 spices. flavors. Spices. I'm thinking of Dr. Pepper has like 39 mm. flavors or something. 23. No, you're thinking of Baskin Robbins. Baskin Robbins, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I'm 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 being tangled into my own web of lies right now. <laughs> Should we just do a general food podcast, the four of us? I know, it really is pretty good. It's good stuff. Have you had the bon me at the stadium? It's cold bon <laughs> <laughs> Earlier today, I went to both QFC and Safeway, which are, are nearby locations to me, and purchased a maple bar from both of those spots. That was our of comparison across all three randy uh made the selection of the second choice which was a plain old-fashioned with chocolate uh, frosting correct even though i'm a maple old-fashioned kind of guy i knew that the qfc top pot carried this variety Mm. and that would be a good you don't want to put all your eggs in one comparison basket safely did not have that option so we only had the maple bar as a point of comparison that's fine (laughs) <laughs> Let's talk about Safeway yeah. last. The point, another thing to mention that I don't know if you even knew this, that Thriftway also has the quote unquote top pot donuts. I don't know if it's all Thriftways, but the West Seattle Thriftway At does. At the very least. Fascinating. And yeah. uh, do they look, have you, have you ever had one? Only once. How many Thriftways are even left? I feel yeah, like the West Seattle is like the this, only one. This could question. have been part of the grand bargain of closing the Alki location, the only top pot on the peninsula. Maybe there was a special Tristan was shocked when I told him that there was not a top pot in West Seattle. I was scandalized. Incident. When did they close? There, the there was one. an Alki location. Correct. Yeah. Right right there near like the, the Starbucks and the Statue of yep. Liberty right down on Alki. There was. Mm-hmm. I was there. Rip. When I lived there, it was, it was nice. I can't believe that... That had to be doing very good business. It was open for sure, like 2019, 20, oh, you know, before, up until the, that. No, I mean, like, then, at least yeah. that it recently. was still open. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a little shocking. It, that it only closed like this September. This, oh, was, this okay. was pretty okay. recent that it closed. Right. I like, would my like pandemic rollerblading along Alki top pot was part of the morning ritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It closed just in time for Dojoy to move into. I mean, they really filled that void. It's not. It's not a coincidence that Dojoy moved in right after. Okay, so we quartered each of these maple bars and the old fashions, and we compared them head to head. Let's start with Randy for thoughts, <laughs> because definitely Randy was feeling a, feeling the emotions. Podcasts are not a visual medium, famously. Ah. <laughs> And let me tell you, the size well, comparison... We, we lost the camera. We got <laughs> <laughs> the size comparison alone of these maple bars was astounding. Yes. The Top Pot maple bar was easily Huge. 20 to 30% bigger than the other one. Easy. Okay. The golden Which helps explain, should we get into the price point difference right now? Yes. Okay. The Top Pot donut... Uh, let me double check my, my notes. I think the top, my Top Pot maple bar was 259 and the QFC one was a dollar nineteen. All the donuts are a dollar nineteen. Wow. Okay. So, flavor-wise, right? Again, these donuts have been sitting. <laughs> <laughs> Mine have been sitting in the back of my car for twelve hours. 
Pelton's have been sitting in the back of his car slash in his house for in my kitchen, a yeah. number of hours. There was still a, a softness to the maple bar. Yeah. Yes. There was still, the, the icing was phenomenal. The fry was great. It was fluffy. It was, everything about it was great. The QFC one just really didn't do it for me. It was, it was close. I feel like if you were, if uh, a, the top pot one is like a, a 10 out of 10 for being a top pot donut. <laughs> yes. yeah. I think honestly, and I think this, this was a good exercise for me to yeah. recognize. I think it, this other one was maybe like an eight I out of a 10. Yeah. Yeah. I think my um, hovering over the donut box in the kitchen accosting people um, at my office uh-huh. had me think that it was like a two. It was a little strange. So I think my memory, yeah, yeah I think you I, I, gone it's so yeah. you could definitely taste. It doesn't taste as like natural. Yes. And the sweetness is not the same. Like I was pleasantly surprised by the softness because when I packed these up to, to bring them to the second location, I was like, Oh boy, that looks rock hard. And it wasn't, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was it still reasonably fluffy. The top, the top pot, top pot one was nice. It's soft. Oh, that still. was good. Like, it was yeah. still good. I would eat that. I, I gotta say, I feel it, they're obviously not the same, right? And I think I definitely knew that going in just from observing the size, quality-wise. The the QFC one, like you mentioned, the best part about a top pot maple bar, is I'm back on my soft bread shit again. <laughs> no, is no. that when you bite into it, there's like a. It's not just all bread. Like you bite down and it kind of yeah. squishes it. Right, mm-hmm. and there's that part where it gets squished, where it's like it's a different hue than every other part because of how soft the bread is on the inside. It's beautiful. It's an amazing thing, right? Every top pot donut is fried perfect. Not everyone, but top pot donuts are fried mostly perfectly, right? They're a little crunchy on the outside, soft on the inside. It's exactly what you're looking for from a donut. The QFC one is like, I as far as grocery store go- donuts go. We're gonna talk about Safeway after this. It is mm. maybe the best grocery store donut. Of all time, still. There probably know, are some know, good ones out times, there. I just don't know. It's, it's but the best grocery store. So for me, available to you. Exactly. Right now. If yeah. I would never like eat, major chain, I wouldn't eat a donut in a Safeway or an Albertsons, but I would get a donut if I'm in like Fred Meyer QFC and they're there, and I'm like, sure, of course, I would still eat the donut. And I think that to me, like the price point, is almost an argument for the Fred Meyer QFC True. donut. Because it's just, it's obviously not made with the artisanal craft of an actual Top Pot donut. It works in both favors, right? You still get the value from going and paying a little bit more to the real Top Pot. But the convenience of the grocery store donut, I like the idea that we're elevating grocery store donuts. We're rethinking all food. (laughs) (laughs) At least one grocery store is. Wow. (laughs) So I guess we've talked about the maple bar. The old fashions, I thought, were even closer, I would say. Yeah, the the size difference closer, was not yeah. as substantial. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I, if you had given the – if I hadn't known which one was which, I'm not sure I would have been. I, I 100% agree there. a slight difference. No. I would say it was a one-point difference of, yeah. the, of the ten, 9 out of 10 for the, the QFC. Well, it, Eva, Randy pointed out the, uh, the color inside of the maple bars. You could, you know, you could the see the – color of the, the soft bread. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of the soft bread. And that brings us to Safeway, which oh, you, you mentioned in your original email that Albertson Safeway were your primary donuts growing up. I mean, I, th- I think back, like, you know, the, there's donuts after church on Sundays, and it was always, I, I don't know whether they're Safeway or Albertsons, because those, at some point, 
merged and became one when those mm-hmm. uh, are part of the same corporation, which soon will also be Kroger. I don't know if that means that eventually Top Pot Donuts are going to be wow. in Safeway and Elberton's if that merger is approved, <laughs> which for, for other non-Top Pot related reasons almost certainly should not be approved. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Randy, your thoughts? I was going to say this, that I, I haven't had a Safeway maple bar in a very long time, but yes, had the, had a very... Albertson's heavy donut childhood. Um, and yeah, I, that, that Safeway one totally missed the mark. I think the color of the soft bread the, went from there's golden. There's no color of the soft bread because there's no just, soft bread. Yeah, it was just uh, yeah. white, first of all. The, um, the bread in the Safeway maple bar it was just white. It was not soft. Mm-hmm. It was, if we're talking on this 10 out of 10, whatever scale, this was a 1 out of 10. <laughs> no. But partly because it's not trying to be a Top Pot donut. It's trying to be its own thing. But that own thing is just not good. Yeah, and if you have a Top Pot palate, mm-hmm. this is going to be offensive to you. I mean, we've always say. said that, you know, kind of in a lot of these searches, the grocery store option is the replacement level option. We've talked about them with fried chicken, of course. I don't know if we talked about them as in... The teriyaki. Search. Oh, we definitely went there for teriyaki. Maybe we did Panda Express. We did Panda Ugh. Express. We for sure did that. But I don't. I don't think we ever did. Even though I've eaten a lot of Safeway teriyaki in my day, it used to be a like work lunch staple. Uh, but like that's the replacement level, and it's it's you know it's still tasty because it's a donut, but is relative to the craft that can be taken with a donut. There's no craft here. This uh, this makes me want to change the replacement level yeah, to no, the QFC top pot. You think it's too low? Yeah, that was way too. Like this was a below average maple bar from Safeway. Safeway. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like I, think, I had a maple bar on Sunday from Dojoy, and first these are not comparable. But it was phenomenal. Yeah. It was it was the same or better than a top pot maple bar. It was a whole experience. It was phenomenal. It's my number one number right? one donut right now. And so and it was also it was like I mean I'm coming around anyway. So <laughs> but I, it makes me want to say that like this Safeway one felt very below average. It was gross. Well, not yeah, average. Replacement level is like, you know, the concept of replacement level is the easiest cheap cheapest attained option oh then that's safe way for sure exactly yeah. okay yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what i'm saying i mean it's still edible because it's a donut i don't know if it is <laughs> oh, yeah. i don't think it's, it's edible. really a close call i'd say on that i mean i, I would say that did, boston cream we were are. eating a lot of pieces of donuts so it's you know <laughs> and but i mean eaten it, a lot of taco time eat, because yeah. again we are in it didn't time. equal up to one old maple bar so it should be fine but i just was yeah Pretty grossed out by the Safeway one. I wouldn't eat it. It's not worth... Literally, I have not had a Safeway donut in... It's not worth the calories? It's not worth the calories. It isn't... And it's bad. It is actively bad. I second that. Do you have to rethink anything about your childhood, Randy? Well, if he was going to Albertsons, they were different companies then. So. I think yeah, then true. they were very different. I, I, I stand by that, that the, the experience at Albertsons in the 90s is very different than this donut. Shout and I don't out think the Albertsons fried chicken God, back the, in I the used day. to make the Albertsons fried chicken. Oh, you know what? I didn't know that. Wait, you just not dropped that in all the time we've I think I have a other? listener email in my drafts right now <laughs> that I just never sent from the fried chicken <laughs> search. We, we did we're literally talking talk Albertsons. about Safeway Albertsons fried yeah. chicken. Yeah, the Albertsons fried chicken. Yeah. I, I had a stint stint of home from college working in the <laughs> deli at an Albertsons. So maybe Albertsons back in the day, pre-merger, is yeah. 
I can't say we've I become anti capitalist here through donuts. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us were beforehand. Yeah, but like, <laughs> yeah, just the donuts got me. Finally got me. Can I can I petition the SEC? Who's in charge of the merger? Like, are they yeah. accepting open letters? Nick you, Saban. You oh, different SEC. You become yeah. pro capitalist now. Oh, I, how do you say that? No, no, no. Because you want the top five merger, the mergers so that you can have top five at Safeway. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's the, the pro capitalist. We live and die by donuts. Once they put a taco time inside one of these grocery stores, <laughs> oh. it's over. Oh my god! Uh, so Albertsons may have been better at everything food-wise. Back in the day. Oh, I, I think I think so. I just Absolutely. really can't remember distinguishing the two because, like, my memory of it I, are only from a period but like where the they've been. The cookies you'd get from the bakery in Albertsons were like. Really mm-hmm. good. You got those fresh chocolate chip cookies at the Albertsons. They just give you a cookie when you go to the. Yes, you could go to any Albertsons. What kind and of charm childhood did you live? And just say, like, could I just get a cookie? And they just hand you a this chocolate is, chip This cookie. is like you're staying at a double tree? <laughs> yeah, but, well, not that hot. But no. And Why did I just watch a podcast today that they brought up this double tree cookie? <laughs> Here we are. Which I knew you're nothing like, about. You grew up, it's like the bubble that John Hamm was in <laughs> on 30 Rock. They're just like, hey, Randy, welcome in. Here's a cookie. Yeah. I don't. So here's the thing. For the longest time. This wasn't time, a SeaTac, so Albertson. Yeah, they were not giving anybody a cookie in SeaTac. So our, our neighbor and family friend was the like baker and cake decorator at the Albertsons. And I always thought that it was because Gene was working. Shouts you could to Gene. be like, shouts to Gene. Um, you would. I thought that that was the whole reason that you could go. But then you'd start noticing on days when Gene wasn't working, you'd also get one. You'd go to other Albertsons. They put your picture up. And get it. <laughs> <laughs> Just give this boy a cookie. Yeah. yeah. But no, it was at other Albertsons. You could go and be like, oh, hey, could he get a cookie? And then they just give you a cookie. And then you would Albert to Safeway. No cookies. And they tasted like garbage compared to the Albertsons ones. We should just start going around asking for cookies. Yeah. <laughs> throwing adults. Famously, the tagline was, it's your store at Albertsons. Yeah. So why would, if it was, it was your store, Randy's store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally I feel like I have to, I've missed out on a lot I, in my childhood. I'm really wanting to know if somebody else could corroborate this out there. <laughs> yeah, please. If the you listener. Know, the if listener. you are the listening right now. <laughs> the I'm Elberton's <laughs> listener. R- Rick and Steve's mom worked at Safeway. We didn't even get one thing for free. <laughs> but she didn't work at Albertsons. Yeah. Did we ever come up with a name for our Elberton's podcast? My Three Elbertsons? Uh, it's got to be like, <laughs> it's your podcast <laughs> <laughs> has to be sung every time I yeah <laughs> I, be honest, I don't even remember this this it's your story yeah this oh, uh, man, huge. Yeah. burned in my brain forever huh. yeah we were a big albertson's family like my my brother yeah, we were definitely way more a safeway family oh yeah my brother worked at the albertson's closest to our house in mill creek and then when it, when it was time for me to you know take up the mantle of being a bag boy at Albertsons in high school, I had to go to the Canyon Park one to make oh. a name for myself. Wow! <laughs> and not not you know, my brother got to have his Albertsons, and I'd have not my no own Albertsons. There wasn't banger, room for know? the both of us in one Albertsons. That's why Tristan doesn't write about sports. <laughs> <laughs> I write about music. It actually makes sense. Uh, so these are probably the don- I was we were talking about this, and it was like, what donuts are the most consumed in Seattle? And I feel like, although there's still a lot of Safeways in what would be considered Seattle, let's call it Western Washington, though. Mm-hmm. 
lot I, of QFCs though. Like it's these two and a lot of Top Pot chain. But I think it's, I think the most consumed is Top Pot. There's like 22 or 23 locations because they, they have both because they have the actual right. chains plus the grocery stores. I think even without the grocery store, I think I I don't know. Maybe There's I'm being no a little way. too generous. Oh, like if like, you were gonna, yeah. I'm gonna make an occasion to go pick up donuts to bring to this <laughs> potluck or office thing. Maybe this is just. I think you're people I want Seattle to associate yeah. with. This is Seattle bias. But but I would like go yeah, to a top pot. I mean, I, I think about how often we had them in the storm offices. A top they, pot. Maybe this real. is city of Seattle yeah, no, versus yeah. like yeah. King and Pierce Suburbs. County or something. Yeah, possibly. There are no other counties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on donuts before we go? I'd like you know. Have you ever had one of those donut as the buns? Cheeseburgers? Mm, no so good. No. Top Pod does that with our friends at Little Woody's. Mm, I've never had it. it. No. Zero. It's great. It's, yeah, it's good. Have you had it? Sisto uh, uh, Pina did it at oh, his tailgate. I, once I actually did have Krispy those Krispy Yeah, but I was, you know, taco burger with a with a donut. <laughs> I don't like sweet plus. Is the brioche bun not sweet enough for you? <laughs> I, just throw, I mean, we're <laughs> on to donuts now, so I'm just but. No, that I could get. I I did enjoy the little Woody's top pot mashup. I, I'm gonna have to try it the next time they do it. It was really good. All right, thanks so much for joining us to do this taste test and confirming for once and for all that QFC at top pot is an eight and top pot is a ten. Okay, but that wasn't the only donuts that we had this week. We did not further our search for Seattle's best donut, which again, the champion will be crowned. I forget this every time. April 21st, Peloton Yacht Club, Pelton Cast Live. You could be one of the last seven people to get tickets for it. But this time, we took our search. Well, we didn't really take the search. We, we took our, 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 our donut palette uh, nationally to the East Coast, to the Eastern Time Zone this week. Yeah, so I, last weekend, was in Boston for the Sloan Conference. You were in New York, and obviously we both had to see, see, seek out, search out donuts. Thanks to the listener, Brandon Boyd, for giving me the suggestion of Blackbird Donuts in Boston, although I probably would have come across it because I, when I was in my hotel room at one point, I searched for donuts, and uh, about eight Dunkin' locations popped up, and Blackbird was the only other location that came up. Uh, well, for me, it was Chris Wheeler who recommended the donuts. He did send a message. This wasn't quite an email, but he did say that he hate listened to the donut section, he, he as is that, now yeah. my standard practice. I can't imagine starting a DM to somebody with like that, but okay. <laughs> Chris is part of the cake donut lobby. <laughs> cake lobby. Uh, so he was mentioning, we talked last week about dough donuts, uh, the, the pricey dough donuts in New York. He also mentioned a handful of other donut places, though, along the way. And when I got there to New York, I had to have quite a few donut conversations. I will say... Had to have? Had to have. I'm or not got sure. to have? I don't know if... I'm not 100% sure if New York is a donut town. Most of the people... Like, I feel like here people are like, oh, yeah, yeah it's blah, 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 or whatever. And there was kind of like, oh, yeah, I don't know. They're pretty good. Huh. I think people have stronger feelings about different things in New York. I guess that makes sense. Is what I'll say. Um, so I first went to the aforementioned Dough Donuts. This was in Manhattan. Uh, and I assumed one of their more flagship stores. There were about like four or five of them, right, as we discussed. Went to Dough Donuts. They were described to me. We didn't really get to this last week on the podcast. They were described to me as very, very big donuts, though. 
And I didn't really know what that meant. Like in my head, a big donut is like literally size wise, like it's length, I guess I would say. Like the top pot maple bar. Like the top pot maple bar. Instead, this is a, a very, very thick donut. So it's almost like like the bread on the donut and then another stack and then there's the the frosting on top. So you say the, the frosting to to dough ratio is off here? It, it's like two to one. I mean, you have to be, I think you have to be very into the, the dough itself, into the donut itself more than you do the icing. Okay. Because um, this is very, very heavy on that. But it also makes it, I, you understand the price point because it's a much more substantial donut. I see. Um, so I, I got. Uh, I did take note at Blackbird. The dozen was about forty dollars. So it was what my initial guess was. I mean, it's like Top Pot's probably like twenty six, something like that. Probably yeah. Uh, I got a hibiscus hibiscus donut, uh, and then a Boston cream donut as well. I think I like the Boston cream donut a little bit better because it was just like a lot of bread on the hibiscus one. It's a good donut, but I don't, I don't think it would be a competitor if it would. I'm judging these on if they were in Seattle, would they be a competitor for Seattle's best donut? And I don't think for my taste, where I'm looking for soft, airy bread, it was quite there. Makes sense. The other spot that I went to is Peter Pan in Greenpoint. Uh, I was going over to Baby's All Right, a venue in Brooklyn. And this was like a one-mile walk from there. So got a car over here. Apparently, it's the donut shop in Spider-Man uh, that Zendaya works at. Have, you haven't seen these movies. You have no idea what I'm talking about. I, I know who Zendaya is. You know who Zendaya is, and you're aware of who Spider-Man is? <laughs> I am aware of the concept of Spider-Man. <laughs> of Spider-Man. Uh, well, by anyway. The, by the way, I looked this up. A dozen at Blue Star is $51. Damn. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I like the revolution. <laughs> Let's not televise it. You, you still can go to Duncan. Peter Pan. Not here, obviously. I, I would say. And you understand why they had Zendaya work there, right? In the Spider-Man movie. It's like a more... They've got like outfits that they wear. It's a much more Instagrammable... Donut location. Interesting. So there's, this, there's this a whole like vibe. The, this is a pre-donut revolution location. Peter Pan? According to the website, for over 60 years, our little donut shop has been a local neighborhood staple, family owned and operated. Wow. So when they opened it, do you think they had Instagram in mind? <laughs> yeah, clearly they did. <laughs> what was the Instagram of its day? Polaroids? But they got invented. <laughs> 60 years was happening. 1960 or so. Yeah. Over 60 years. Wow. Um, but so it's the kind of spot where you can go to the left and you're getting your donuts to go. But then there's also a counter that you can sit at and get like shakes and things like that. Huh. Uh, I thought this spot is definitely like an old school recipe, right? Like it's it's a more old school type of donut, but I think done quite well. I, I mean, can imagine how pre-revolution, these might have been up there with some of the best donuts in New York. Like, the quality that we're having overall is a little bit higher, but, like, there's there's old fashions, there's filled donuts. You know, it's like a very traditional donut shop. Mm -hmm. And it looks great. The whole vibe of it is great. I just enjoyed being in there. It was kind of one of those situations. Uh, uh, Chris described it as famously surly service. <laughs> Which I didn't, I didn't, there were, nobody was surly. Actually, they were quite friendly. I went to the bathroom and they're like, just walk through the kitchen. I'm like walking through the kitchen and I'm like, oh, excuse me, sorry, okay. Which is not how people talk in New York. Um, <laughs> it is not. No. <laughs> Pardon me, sir. No, nor Boston. <laughs> excuse me. New York's a big, a big time place for walking outside of your hotel and having somebody at like 7 a.m. yelling at somebody else on the streets <laughs> on the phone. 
that happened like the amount of times that there was just like an altercation happening around us where I was like damn we are not in Seattle anymore this does not happen in Seattle um, the only time we, I rem- we fucking love it the only time I remember having that happen is when I was in LA and it's, it sounded like someone was having an argument with their significant other on the phone and it was like concerning the level of volume <laughs> it was concerning I was, but it was not at 7am walking into the subway and there was a dude, a dude who was just going into the subway, and then a person who was like working on like the subway entrance or whatever. And apparently, that dude like made some eye contact or whatever, and they were, they were just screaming at each other, <laughs> just walking by, being like, "Do do 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 do." Don't mind me. Yeah, <sighs> I'm just trying to pay on my phone here. Um, anyway, it was awesome. Fucking love New York. <laughs> it's a great time. <laughs> That, but but so I th- I think the donuts again they were good I don't think they'd be a competitor for Seattle's best donut beautiful place to go to though like I enjoyed the donut experience so thoroughly going there oh cash only also oh yeah and there's no ATM as far as I could tell inside of there I was flaunting my BCU card where I was just like I get I get paid back for ATM service fees I'm fine I'll go to any <laughs> ATM in the world and then there wasn't an ATM inside of there so. Uh, Blackbird Donuts is a much newer location. Uh, I believe they say that uh, it, they started eight years ago with a single location. Uh, yeah, Open 2015 was the original location in the South End, which is the one that I happened to go to, uh, and now have seven locations in the Boston area. It, it does seem like w- one of the thoughts I had, by the way, coming out of that conversation about the most consumed donuts in Seattle is that Dunkin' have got to be the most consumed donuts out like. Places where they operate, particularly on the East Coast, oh, yeah. right? That probably is true, yeah. And the other thing I thought Krispy about Kreme, is... Krispy Kreme, I'm sure, is up there also. I feel like Krispy Kreme's, Kreme's a little more West Coast. Dunkin's more East Coast. Okay. I The other thing I thought was interesting is, like, Dunkin' is now more of a coffee place than a donut place. Or they changed their name from Dunkin' Donuts. I, I'm aware. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting that Starbucks, maybe to disassociate themselves from that, has never, like, really seriously done donuts. It kind of seems like a natural for Starbucks, doesn't it? I think I think Starbucks considers itself above a, that a higher end location I, than a donut. Like I would like, be shocked if they've had donuts at various. Yeah, time. I'm sure they have. But they're more like we're giving you your healthy options, whether like literally caloric wise, oh, right? No, Nutrition not. wise, they actually are decidedly not. It, it's more just. But the, I feel like they could have gone like a blue star direction to partner with someone like making that style of donuts at some point and have bougie donuts. Or maybe that's just incompatible with kind of the scale of Starbucks entirely. Anyways, I, I, I thought Blackbird was kind of similar to Blue Star with the difference being that they have like an extensive seasonal menu that changes monthly. And I went with both uh, of my options off of that, a cookie dough stuffed and a toasted coconut chai Bismarck. The coconut stuff was, was good, but I thought the, the filling was a, l- a little off from what I was hoping for. It was a little too thick maybe. But the toasted coconut chai Bismarck, I do think would be competitive wow. with Seattle's Best Donuts. Toasted Coconut Chai Bismarck? Yeah. That sounds pretty freaking good. It does. So, if you're in Boston, check out Blackbird Donuts. I hit up dumplings twice in Did New York. Uh, I mean, the thing about going to Boston is like uh, most of my, although I had I, I went to like a, uh, a, a higher-end steakhouse moo that was quite a, quite a delicious meal. Okay. I went to King's Co. Imperial. And then also to Vanessa's Dumpling House in New York. Both phenomenal. I mean, all dumplings are phenomenal, if we're being honest here. Uh, but it, it was a great experience for that. Also, I, I only had one pizza one time, which was very, very late night. 
And I made the same argument that every single slice of pizza is better than every single in New York is better than every single slice of pizza in Seattle. And you don't agree with this aside from Pagliacci because we don't count Pagliacci. Exactly. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm talking about every other slice of pizza in Seattle. Yeah. Pagliacci pizza is clearly the best pizza on the face of the earth. So when we judge pizza, we're talking about the pizza after that. Yep. So we could, I thought that was a given. <laughs> You'd have to give me that face. But <laughs> anyway, beyond that, beyond Pagliacci, I'm just like any slice of pizza that is made in New York City is better than any slice of pizza that's made in Seattle, Washington. People thought it was bold. And then I woke up the next morning and still argued the same thing. And the person I was with was just like, oh, you still believe this? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> it wasn't a like, oh, you're just like late night for him drinking. Yeah, believe this. some questions about how late at night the slice of pizza was. <laughs> no, I was well, just like, oh, you, I'm going to use that on you. Oh, you still believe this. Well, we're going to have some, oh, you still believe this in the Jane Smith section today. Good, sir. Uh, anything else on New York food? Or a quick Seattle food update this week is, so Seattle Burger Month is over, but still an exciting Lil Woody's Burger of the Week, a collaboration with Genesis Video, a skateboarding collective based in South Seattle in celebration of their newest film, Genesis 3, out on March 9th at genesisvideo.us, their website. So they put together a the Genesis 3 Burger, which is based in part on their love for Local burger chain Red Robin. Whoa! With somehow three. Oh, I saw. It. Wait, but I want to say I want to say about Jenny Three. They had their premiere. They did a Seattle premiere on Friday night. Uh -huh. Blew it out. L.A. premiere today. Yep. Uh, just blew blew out everything. Monster premieres everywhere. I can't wait for this to hit the internet. Uh, have not been able to go to either because I was in New York. Uh, Ian Ostrowski, the person who's in charge of it. Uh, you probably met him. Via Enum Claw, he, he's part of the Enum Claw extended universe, ah, okay. uh, and the whole skate crew. Nice. He has all these kids. It's just like Ian and this crew of kids who are around him, and it's fucking tight as hell. Do they like taco time? Oh, uh, absolutely, they do. I bet you every if you saw the Instagram, there's like ten kids there, right? Yeah. There's like Ian and Tim in the back, and then there's like ten kids in front of them, just like looking dope as hell. I bet you every single one of those motherfuckers loves taco time. Uh, so three patties, Swiss cheddar and pepper jack. That patties. was that was wild. Campfire sauce, which is their favorite from Red Robin, uh, tomato, grilled onions, and iceberg lettuce. I I saw this and I was like, they took the Pelton Cast burger, <laughs> and they actually might have made it better. <laughs> they stepped it up a notch. I mean, American is not one of the cheeses they went with, and one of my real Lil Woody's takes lately is that. The American cheese there is top-notch. You think the American cheese is the way to go? It, it hits. Because I really fuck with Swiss, cheddar, and pepper jack. I mean, all three of them, though, is a very exciting... Oh, my God. I saw that, and I was just like, I probably would die eating this. But... <laughs> what a way to go out. Yeah. And the campfire sauce, because we did fry sauce, and this was campfire sauce. Right, which is a mix of ranch and barbecue. Incredible. It's the best sauce at all of Red Robin, so... I'm a honey mustard fan. It's not like a okay, whatever. It's not, but like honey. Yes, mustard it's is not, not unique to Red Robin. Sauce. But they, like, they, I really, I really prefer ketchup. Actually, they <laughs> do a really good honey mustard at Red Robin. Do they? Let me just say, yeah. But then otherwise, you see the tomato, the grilled onions, the iceberg lettuce, and you're like, this is kind of. If you squint, 
But the three patties, we never even oh considered that. Oh, God. They went one patty and one slice of cheese more than we ever dreamed of. Nate, Nate Duncan mentioned on this week's Hollinger and Duncan that uh, he hit up a, in and you know, out right before closing uh, over the weekend uh-huh. and had a three by three and a double cheese beer. He had five patties of burger from In and Out. He did. I wonder if they hate him. I was like, I don't know if that's something I would admit that it was right before closing. Maybe it's better actually because it, the lines are are less. Yes. And he's getting extravagant. Okay. I'll, all right. I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. <laughs> I don't know if I'll allow the five patties. It's a, it's a lot. I've never had a three by three. Me neither. It, three by three animal style. Next time I'm in so. and out, that's what I'm doing. There you go. I don't know any time that I'm going to be <laughs> near in and out. You famously rarely travel to LA. I've got no. Okay. No travel in the books right now. Should we get into sports? Really would like to talk about that burger for a little bit longer, but I guess if we have to. I mean, we'll have a review, I guess, on next week's pod, but by that point, it will be too late for you to get it. Uh, not a lot of news from spring training as yet mm. on the Mariners. We were more Jared Kelnick and Evan Kelnick? <laughs> we, We've already covered that one. Uh, but Julio Rodriguez signed with Adidas last week. So this is the, the first departure uh, from the Mariners' new center fielder. And the path that their old superstar center fielder took. All right, let's get into the Kraken, who are one of Seattle's hottest teams. We'll talk about the other in a second. They swept their four-game road trip, including a pair of overtime wins at both Detroit, where Oliver Bjorkstrand scored his second goal of the night for the winner, and Colorado, where Yanni Gord delivered the winning goal. In between, they beat Columbus 4-2 with Brandon Tenev empty netter supplying the final margin. They extended the winning streak to five earlier this evening by beating Anaheim 5-2, to two, moving two points clear of Edmonton for third in the Pacific Division and just two points back of both Los Angeles and Vegas, who are tied for first. So uh, compact really standings. The shit's kind of actually going down. Oh, they were like 96% to make the playoffs when I looked on 538 before I mean, they're, this week. They're week. making the playoffs. Right. I just mean like they actually... Could do some things. Yeah, they could. Is, is hockey still, is the NHL... Still, I know, I know, as it was a couple of years ago, it was sort of like you get in and it's anything goes. Yeah, I think that's going to be always the nature of a low-scoring sport. So the Kraken did not make any moves, despite their uh, standing before Friday's trade deadline, uh, according to let's see, where did I read this? ESPN. I think this was on ESPN.com. And uh, third Pelton brother, Ryan Clark, only, they were the only Western Conference team in a playoff spot not to make a trade within the last week of the deadline. Uh, GM Ron Francis told reporters, at the end of the day, we believed in the group we had. I didn't think there were prices that we were willing to pay at this point to change that chemistry that we have in our locker room currently. Which, which angle do we want to go with this? Because I was going to say, you think they were watching the Mariners and they were like, bang up offseason, guys. We really <laughs> like what you're doing there. Or should we go in the direction of... I don't understand hockey well enough to, to know where, where to criticize or compliment. Or is it just like they're a young team right now? I think it's that. Are they, are they overachieving this season, though? Or I guess even if they are overachieving, you just see how far you can go with a young roster and then actually get good next year. Exactly. Okay. I mean, Matty Beneers is arguably their best player, and he's 20. Matty so. Beneers is the timeline. Exactly. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Julio Rodriguez is the timeline. Matty Beneers is the timeline. So, 
I mean, we'll also see how well it works in the playoffs because the Kraken is Ryan and I talked about when he was on the pod a few weeks ago. Like their advantage right now is their depth, how deep they are. Their third and fourth lines uh, are a huge edge. And that matters less in the playoffs? I, I, I think so. I assume you extend your top lines a little bit more in the postseason setting. So... Uh, the Anaheim game kicked off a four-game road trip for the Kraken with Ottawa visiting on Thursday and a home set against Dallas on Saturday and Monday. So a chance for the Kraken to continue surging in the standings at home. The other surging Seattle team is the Sounders, who moved to 2-0 with a 2-0 win Saturday versus Real Salt Lake. Their second consecutive clean sheet to start the season with goals from Jordan Morris in the first half and Bear in the second, providing the final margin. Bear is the timeline. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of, kind of on the older side, which actually does fit the Sanders yeah. timeline. But I mean, two and zero without rule, Rui Diaz having started, yeah, like a pretty amazing start. And Abair has scored in both games he's played for the Sounders thus far. Jordan Morris has scored in both games. Uh, again, the Sounders dominated statistically eight shots on goal to two for Real Salt Lake and three point one shot based expected goals according to Soccer Power Index. Brian Schmetzer said afterwards that was some of the best soccer that the Seattle Sounders have played in a very long time. Roasted. Oh, no, that was a compliment. <laughs> okay. What? <laughs> I don't know if he was going back farther than the CONCACAF <laughs> Champions League victory last year. Uh, Sounders, one of four teams, including expansion side St. Louis FC, with full points from both matches so far. Their six goals lead MLS tied for first, while they are one of six teams. Kind of has to. <laughs> you would think. Well, they are one of six teams that have yet to give up a goal. They will test that perfect defensive record on the road for the first time Saturday at Cincinnati FC. Cincinnati won its home opener, drew last week on the road. They are coming off their first playoff appearance, which saw Cincinnati lose in the conference semifinals as the fifth seed. Also, a little bit of Sounders news off the pitch. Sounder at heart reported that the Sounders have agreed to an extension with Nuhu, who was in the final guaranteed season of his contract, previously had a club option for 2024. His new deal runs through at least 2026. Do you think that would have anything to do with a hypothetical transfer, or is it just this is the contract? If Nuhu were to want to transfer to Europe or whatever... I mean, I think it lessens the chances of a transfer okay. when you extend your contract for that long, certainly. So there was, I mean, a fair bit of talk over the summer about him going to, you know, I think France in particular as a, as a French speaker, but uh, that has not yet materialized. He could still of hypothetically course, transfer, you can always transfer with the contract. But, you know, if someone wants you bad enough, it, it can always happen. But, you know, this does lock in his future to, here to a degree. All right, let's get into UW sports, starting with softball, which went 5-0 and in the Grand Canyon Classic. Getting a tough test from Michigan State in a 4-3 win. Uh, the Huskies trailed 2-0 in the fourth and then 3-2 in the seventh after giving up the go-ahead run, only to tie the game on a Sammy Reynolds home run leading off the bottom of the seventh and then win it on a Madison Husky there homer two batters later. UW then won the remaining four games by a combined 26 to nothing the scoreline. Uh, based on that performance, they moved up one spot in the rankings to number 11, and now it's home for the first time to start Pac-12 play against number 19, Oregon, Okay, which has gone 19-4 in non-conference play, one of five ranked teams starting the conference season. Huskies will also host a single game against UNLV next Tuesday. What day do they play Oregon? Uh, that should be Friday through Sunday. Okay. It's a whole series. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
UW women's basketball also faced Oregon Ugh. last Wednesday in the Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas. A heartbreaker. Uh, down early, they took the lead with a 13-0 run in the second quarter. We're up seven with seven minutes to play before Oregon answered with a 9-0 run. Uh, the teams then traded the lead with the Huskies getting seven consecutive points from freshman Hannah Steins, but unable to get stops at the other end. Lauren Schwartz then missed a pair of shots in the final minute that would have given the lead, them the lead, while Trinity Oliver missed a possible tying attempt in the closing seconds. I was following this on the train to Portland on the ESPN app. That was like all I had I was, was just I watched the play-by-play. Play. two minutes on my phone while driving. And like I'm having like Luca narrate it for me, and he's like, "Oh," and I'm like, "You got to tell me what happened." <laughs> Classic. But uh, I mean, they were right there in it. I I thought there were a couple moments where I was like, "Oh wow, they're gonna do this," and it does. For it, sure, it does feel like if they could have pulled off this victory, it would have been a, it would have gone a long way toward a possible NCAA tournament bid. They would have been very much in the mix, and who knows? Maybe they could have gone on a run because it, it turned out that both of the top two seeds in the Pac-12 tournament, Stanford and Utah, lost before the finals. That is wild. Which matched UCL against Washington State with the Cougars going on to win the tournament for the first time in school history is the number seven seed. Right. They're going to be a higher seed in the NCAA tournament than they were in the Pac-12 tournament. I mean, obviously, there's four times the teams, etc., but still kind of funny. So congrats to the Cougs. Huskies somehow still in the first four out on ESPN's Brockettology, though that was before a pair of bid thieves won on Tuesday, including Portland beating Gonzaga in the West Coast Conference final. <laughs> Is uh, Gonzaga still going to the They'll train? still get it in at large. By the way, a correction from a couple weeks ago that no one noted. The Gonzaga men did not lose to St. Mary's two weekends ago. <laughs> they won at home, and then they blew out St. Mary's today in the men's. I saw that. WCC title. Did you told me tell me that they? I said it on this podcast. You said that they lost. Yeah, <laughs> it was just factually wrong. <laughs> I love when that happens. Uh, so Gonzaga's fucking us again here. Uh, yes, I mean UW wasn't going to make the NCAA tournament realistically. So Gonzaga is the reason that UW women's basketball yep. will not make That's the, the NCAA tournament. One hundred percent because of Gonzaga. Ugh. Portland making the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1991, though. So exciting Whoa. for the pilots. Uh, so the, the the women's NIT takes the top finishing team in each conference not to make the NCAA tournament. Now that WSU is in as the automatic qualifier, that will almost certainly be UW because they finished ahead of Oregon in the conference standings. So uh, we will see some postseason basketball. What will from the, the roster Huskies. look like next year? Is it... I mean, we can get into that after they're they're eliminated, but uh, uh, you lose a couple of starters, Oliver, and then Haley Van Dyke is is seniors who played really key roles. Obviously, there are transfers in women's college basketball, not as frequent as in men's college basketball. But you know, I think really next year you look at Delia Daniels stepping into a key role in her second season at UW. Lauren Schwartz should be back for her senior season as a starter. Uh, and then I think, you know, you really uh, see the two freshmen who played off the bench this season, Hannah Steins and Elle Ledeen, step into larger roles next year. And you've got another strong recruiting class coming in oh, on yeah. top of them. So, right. again, the future seems bright. Things are building. Women's basketball. Yeah. But the season is not over. Let's not look ahead just yet. Okay. What about for Husky men's basketball? Uh, is the future bright? Uh, not as... Is bright. 
they lost their home finale on Thursday to Washington State, which swept the season series for the second time in the last four, yard, four years. Uh, Keon Brooks Jr. had 22 points on 7 of 13 shooting, and Jamal Bay scored 17 in we, what we know for sure will be his final home game after five years on Montlake. They were two of the six Huskies who were honored for senior day. Cole Bajima, who has a year of eligibility returning, remaining, like Keon Brooks Jr. It's like, I'm good. <laughs> maybe moving on. Langston Wilson and walk-ons Anthony Iglesia and Kyle Lutonen were the others honored for senior day. But the Huskies, despite their strong offense in that game, could not stop TJ Bamba, who had 36 points on 13 of 20 shooting to lead all five WSU starters in double figures as the Cougars shot 58% on twos Dude, and 41% on threes. Dude, shooting extraordinarily well against the Huskies this year. I mean, three-point shooting, no. They actually have shot. They've actually shot. Like, they've been kind of lucky. I mean, the UW defense has been pretty good, all things considered. Usually, they just can't score. We skipped Coach's Corner because I wasn't in town for Coach's Corner. But one thing I did, did I mention this last week on the podcast? I think I was too busy talking about uh, the glory of winning a game. You did. You were, yes. Whatever whatever you're going to say, the answer is yes. After that game happened, I instituted a full zone. We were playing. You almost (laughs) spit out your beer. I I looked to my icon hop. <laughs> I was like, I love this man's coaching. This is this is what we're gonna do here. I've got a whole roster of people who can't shoot. So. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I don't. Oh man, 312th in the nation in three point percentage at 31.5 percent, but a solid 210th in three point attempt rate. There we go. But so I instituted a full zone on defense for the kids. I wasn't gonna be at the game. But I was just like, this is what we're doing permanently now. Because it does... I, I didn't know if it was legal or not. Right? I didn't consult the rule book. Of it definitely not. is not legal. I'm not that kind of coach. Okay? <laughs> yes, you are. You said on the podcast a few weeks ago that you're like, tell me the rules and I'll follow them. Nobody told me the rules. <laughs> I have to explicitly be told the rules. And... Uh, it is kind of... Yeah, I feel like I'm like more about the rules. Ah, what is applicable to me? I'm like every other coach. <laughs> when the rules are beneficial to me, that's when I really like to follow them. So when, your philosophy is motivated reasoning. <laughs> it's, it's every coach's philosophy. I'm sure it is. Anyway, instituted a full zone because I was like, they will never notice. We were basically playing a zone the entire time. Yes, blatantly. We were, uh, we were blatantly playing a zone in the paint. Yes. But we were we were sort of mildly playing a zone on the perimeter. This time I was like, fuck it. We are playing a zone, everybody. And then I guess... At the game that I was not at on Saturday, one of the like fucking dads from the other team was yelling out that we were playing a zone. They got a bunch of zone violations and like <laughs> had to have a conversation into the game. We go up eight nothing because the zone works in children's basketball. It, it does. There's a reason it's prohibited. The, like the things that the zone that it, that it gives up, right? Three point shooting, offensive rebounds are a little bit annoying, but if nobody can shoot threes, it's a great defense, right? Uh, and like the amount of teams that can find the soft spot in the zone at the top of the key is none of them. Maybe next season you need to install a pack line since technically that's not a zone, but it, it the, can work the same way. What is what is that? The pack line is basically you like sag way off of your opponent opposing player. Every so that single you can person give help. Yeah, every single person is way off. Yeah, that's basically what we were doing. Yeah. Uh, so go up eight nothing. Then they get called in the zone, and the team is discombobulated oh, no. at that, that point forward. They end up losing. But this was the team at the beginning of the year that we lost to, 47-13. to 13. I lost this time. They were without their best player, who was there last time. Uh-huh. I swear he's not on the team, because that dude is in, like, ninth grade. Uh, <laughs> but 
I have not seen him in the last few weeks, but only lost 28 to 20. So I feel like there's progress happening when you do a little bit of cheating. <laughs> well, maybe the Huskies need to do some some more cheating. Uh, despite the loss, they still earned the number eight seed in the Pac-12 tournament because of Stanford's loss on Saturday. They will face Colorado, having swept the season series against the Buffaloes in two of their better wins of the season. They beat Colorado by at home by 10 oh the game after the front kept non injury. These and are two of their better wins of the season? They are. They got, only had one good win all year. Got one of just two road wins all season in Boulder. Uh, although these teams both finished 8-12 and in Pac-12 play and have identical 16-15 and records overall, the Buffaloes had a positive point differential in conference play. Well, UW was outscored by 5.5 points per 100 possessions, and Colorado was ranked 49 spots higher in Ken Palm. As a result, Colorado is favored in this one. Despite playing without leading scorer KJ Simpson, who will miss the Pac-12 tournament due to mono, which also sidelined him. disease. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> which also sidelined him for the regular season finale. Uh, the Buffaloes still managed to beat Utah at home in their regular season finale last Saturday, getting a double-double from Neat Clifford and 15 points in 23 minutes off the bench from Tristan Da Silva. Wow, Tristan Da Cunha. Uh, Simpson was wildly inefficient this season, so maybe his absence isn't actually such a bad thing for Colorado. I uh, also didn't mention this game is taking place in noon on Wednesday, so oh, it probably time. already have happened by the time you listen to this. <laughs> Coincidentally, that's when all UW or all Pac-12 football games are going to be happening from this point forward is noon on a Wednesday. I would, you know what? I would take noon on Wednesday over <laughs> 7 30 p.m. There'll be no games. You, Pac-12 football is happening on Sundays now. They'll be like Pac-12 is moving to Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Every game starts at 12.01 a.m. They're going to get a cease and desist from the NFL. Back to football way after dark. <laughs> I mean, Hawaii is allowed to do it. I don't see why you... It's on their uh, local time zone. If you started at 11.59 p.m., <laughs> it's technically on Saturday. That's what's going to happen in the Back 12 oh, in the boy. future. Just to be on Amazon Prime or whatever. I mean, Amazon Prime can take, take the games whenever they want. I don't think Amazon <laughs> Prime is the issue here. Uh, yeah, so, uh, Huskies, we'll, we'll talk about hop. I mean, the season will be over next week. Yeah. Well, yes. Barring a run to the Pac-12 <laughs> tournament title. Win the Pac-12 championship. Don't, don't see an NIT bid in the cards for the Huskies. So we'll have the, we're, we're putting the hop conversation on hold for a week. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say this week that we haven't said already. Do we think that, let's say that the team was to move on from Mike Hopkins. Do you think that will happen by the time we talk next week, yes. Okay, we'll we'll know one way or the other. I I mean I don't know that we would necessarily know for sure one way or another, but my expectation would be I mean, you know, in, in the case of Lorenzo Romar, I think it was sh- very shortly afterwards, and by the was it by Selection Sunday that they had hired Hop? It was very quickly that that whole turnaround. I remember it was a Saturday. I was going. No, it was definitely a Sunday. Oh, okay. It was a weekend. Yeah. That was on Selection Sunday, you think? I think so. Oh, no. It was the first weekend of the NCAA tournament because Hop coached Syracuse in the NIT on Saturday, and they lost, and their season was over, and then he took the job on Sunday. So that's that was the timeline. So, again, these move, things move quickly. He was an assistant, or he was the head coach of Syracuse at the time? Was Mike Hopkins the head coach? Well, I'm saying was like Jim Baham out for a period of time? No. Okay. You were like, he coached Syracuse. He was part of the coaching staff. Sorry. Okay. 
I'm sorry that my words weren't precise enough there for you. <laughs> I just, I, I thought maybe Jim Beheim, he could have had health issues and been like. Let me tell you, Jim Be- they're, they're not real thrilled with Jim Beheim right now. And I, I offered, uh, I, t- I had a conversation with Syracuse alum on trade. Saturday. I offered them a lightly used Mike Hopkins. A lightly used Mike Hopkins. Just, I, I mean, I think I'd take Jim Beheim. I don't know if you want Jim Mayhem at this point. He's very much in his old man yells at God <laughs> stage of coaching. I'll tell you who's not in their old man yells at cloud phase of coaching. That's Pete Carroll. But we'll talk to, talk about that later. He's not. I don't know that that's going to be a phase for Pete Carroll. But uh, It comes for everybody, I assure you. But unless you choose, to, unless you Chris Peterson in it. Win forever? <laughs> UW football news you know, athletic director Jen Cohen has been named to the college football playoff selection committee through 2025 as a three-year term. And so we'll be there uh, as part of the expanded college football playoff Correct. as well. Yeah. When there's actually a chance for a Pac-12 team to make it. Yeah, can't wait. <laughs> uh, Huskies started spring practice on Monday. They'll have three practices this week before the end of the winter quarter. Resuming March 29th when the everyone's back on campus for the start of spring quarter. So not not a lot of news this early in spring camp, but uh, I'm sure we'll have more to discuss. There was various personnel news, but... I mean, yes, the which side of the field Nate Kalepa was going to play guard on, I think. Uh, Julius Irving retired, yeah. yeah. Uh, some players, Dominic Hampton was back playing safety after playing linebacker last season. So we'll, we'll need more time to get into that, I'm sure. All right, let's wrap up with the Seahawks. And as alluded to earlier, more details emerged Tuesday on Geno Smith's contract extension, which is somewhat different, I think, than we thought when we recorded about this Monday night with our emergency pod. This was your, you still feel that the same way about that the next exactly. day. Exactly. As Mike Garofolo of NFL Network, I wrote NHL Network for some reason, reported the base value of this deal. Is your just, old man yells, anyway. at, yells at cloud ear of podcasting? That's not, I'm not yelling at anyone. That's, <laughs> old man confuses cloud. <laughs> Uh, reported the base value of this deal. Look, I loved that same areas win over Gonzaga in the kettle. It was just very <laughs> that impressive. Was a monster. Huge victory. <laughs> Big for St. Mary's. Uh, anyways. They got up to number nine, by the way, Gonzaga. Yeah, they're going to be a two seed, probably. It's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my entire life. Whatever. Anyways. It'll, it'll be a great loss for them in the Sweet 16. Mike, I mean, you're giving them some credit to get to the Sweet 16. Uh, Mike Garofolo reported the base value of this contract is just $75 million over three years with the remaining $30 million incentives and that $40 million will be guaranteed at signing with $28 million of that coming in the first year. So, you, like, this becomes a below-average contract for a starting quarterback as compared to where we were thinking of it is probably a pretty average starting quarterback deal. I mean, that was kind of a, a second contract for a starting quarterback or whatever. Right. Uh, that's kind of what the thought that I had was when seeing the details of this, which which were we, we discussed how there really wasn't like... A, a middle class? Yeah, middle class. I think Geno Smith is making personally, <laughs> right? It's him, it's Tannehill. They kind of are, maybe Derek Carr is kind of in that range, the middle class of NFL starting quarterbacks. But I mean, we were comparing this yesterday to the car the deal that had been reported for Carr earlier in the day, which you know seems like a three-year, one hundred million dollar base. I think that let's talk about everything. Let's get into the get into the conversation later. I mean, there's not 
the other stuff that's out there is that Pete Carroll went on Seattle Sports 710 Tuesday morning, said that Smith, based on the incentives, was, quote, gambling a little bit in that sense on himself, and that the structure of the deal made Jody Allen more comfortable with it. He reiterated that the contract would not prevent the Seahawks from drafting a quarterback, and asked about Smith's possible reaction, said, whatever we do, he's going to take it in stride. He's not going to worry about anybody. This is a reward to what he's done, even solidifies his confidence and understanding of how much trust we have in him. So if that is to happen, that is a choice for the long haul, the future, and all of that. We'll see what happens. It was a little bit of like... this. It's not that different than franchise tagging, Geno Smith. But they have the ability to long-term lock him up for a little bit longer. Correct. And Gino gets more guaranteed money, $40 million, than he would have gotten on the franchise tag, which was 32.4. So you can understand why it makes sense for both sides. But this does turn out to be closer to Mike Sean's assessment of his market than we thought yesterday. No, I think I think Mike Sean, in the end, once we saw, saw the con, That's why I hate this shit with NFL contract numbers. And right? like, we'll still learn more. We don't know the actual structure in terms of what the incentives are. Like if they're really you know, what easy. Kind of no, I'm sure. <laughs> what? If they're really easy incentives. If he throws one pass, he gets yeah. $10 million. I mean, you know, we can assume some of the things that will be in their playoff appearance, Pro Bowl, things like that, very likely. I, I think it, it still ended up in a pretty good place for the Seahawks. I'm, I'm, I mean, from the Seahawks' perspective, it ended up in a much better place. Oh, no. No, I'm saying, like, I think they got to a very good place in this deal. I do think the open market, it actually kind of looked more like the initial conversation that we had with Ben right at the end of the season, which was, you look around at the teams, if you were to canvas the NFL right now, and that's what it takes two parties, right, to have a con- There's no v- contract value outside of what somebody's willing to pay you. The Saints signed Derek Carr. I mean, there is a value of what your production is worth, and teams might misjudge what that's worth. But all that matters, uh, a contract is all that matters is what somebody's going to pay it. The Saints signed Derek Carr. Danny Dimes re-upped with the Giants. Aaron Rodgers is probably going to the Jets. Jordan Love is going to take over in Green Bay. That leaves... Tom Brady is going to Miami. (laughs) We'll see. But that leaves more or less like one, maybe two teams who are really in the market for a quarterback. And I don't think that the Buccaneers are in the position of... I don't really think they're looking to spend big money on a free agent quarterback. Still a lot of talk about Drew Locke there. It makes... I think that makes a lot more sense right now. And that's what Mike Sean told us. So it sort of comes back to everybody that we talked to was right. I don't even want to say that we were wrong because we didn't... Kind of just agreed with them um, (laughs) along the way. But like... I, I do think the the real misread of the quarterback market that happened this offseason, I think Derek Carr probably got a little bit more, more money than would have necessarily been out there if I think the Saints didn't have to pay him that much. I don't think there was another offer that was pushing the Saints. I think the Giants really read the situation wrong with Danny Dimes, and they probably should have just let Danny Dimes go to free agency. I mean, I think the Giants were in a position where they were, like, you know, the the Billy Bean rule, one of his rules of trading is, like, when you say you have to get a player or you have to do something, you're, you're screwed. Yeah. Uh, and I think they were, we have to retain Daniel Jones, and also that it was very important for them to do it 
without using the franchise tag so that they could use that on Saquon Barkley. And both of those conditions lent themselves to overpaying, whereas I think the Seahawks were a little probably more pragmatic about the situation that they could just draft a quarterback and let Geno Smith walk if need be, if the, if the price wasn't what they wanted it to be. I kind of believe it. Like, I kind of believe that Seahawks, if this deal wasn't the type of deal that they wanted to do, would have let Geno walk. I mean, ultimately, like, so far everything they've said in public has seemed to be true, I guess. And I don't know if I think that if they let, let's say they franchise Geno. Let's say they don't franchise Geno. I don't know. Geno probably not franchised would have ended up with a contract like this. Uh but when you factor in the draft picks and what it would have taken on top of that if he was franchised, there's no way that Gino ends up with this deal, right? After looking at it now and seeing a day later, I do not think, and seeing the reticence that teams have had with a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, who should be one of the like three or four highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. We'll see how that market develops. I, I think there's going to be a market for Lamar Jackson. I'm not, I, there'll be a market for Lamar Jackson. I'm not as convinced that there's going to be a, like, it's just, it is a huge price to pay when you talk about, like, I, I think the Browns are very unhappy with the decision that they made last year. Yeah, I think that's one of the things people are saying, well, why would the Browns do this for Deshaun Watson, uh, despite the allegations against him and teams wouldn't be willing to do it for Lamar Jackson? Well, yeah, part of what happened is they got to watch Deshaun Watson play last season and not play very well when he came back from that suspension. I mean, there have been, over the last couple of years, there's been over the last two years. Also, they got to watch Russell Wilson play that's after what I was the Broncos say. signed There have the, been three extension. investments where a team paid a player and, and paid draft picks to get that quarterback, right? And they've been, I'm going to give an example of a team that won a Super Bowl as one of these. But I, like, again, they still traded for him in a situation where his contract, his cap hit was relatively lower because he was on an existing contract and the signing bonus accelerated onto Detroit's cap and didn't go onto LA's cap. But listen to this. There's Deshaun. I'm sure that if the Browns could redo that situation, they would, right? If the Browns had a time machine and could not trade for Deshaun Watson... Well, and given just, that he was less effective than Jacoby Brissett? Yeah, and just roll with Jacoby Brissett and not have a guaranteed contract for Deshaun Watson plus the draft picks, I guarantee you they would redo that situation. Actually, they would go... If they had this time machine, they would go back inside Gino's bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the same with the Broncos. If the Broncos could go back and undo that trade for Russell Wilson, the Broncos would go back and undo that trade for Russell Wilson. Look, maybe long-term it gets them Sean Payton and he's great there and they're happy with it, but like where we are in this very moment, they would undo it. I think the Rams are probably okay with their Super Bowl, but there's still, I'm looking at posts where it's like, Matt Stafford may never play another down in the NFL again, right? Like Matt Stafford may have, he's back to Matt now, Matt Stafford may have cost the Rams the draft picks, plus... <laughs> Uh, whatever the pick ended up this year, like top 10 draft pick from the Rams, paying the salary. Jared Goff was a better quarterback than him a year later. I still am not 100% convinced that the Rams wouldn't have won the Super Bowl with Jared Goff as the quarterback because literally all it took was three lucky games. But like, it's, it's, there's, there's some like, uh, 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 what, what is the term where the winners determine the history, right? Like, Something like that. Where it's I don't like, know if there's a term for that. I think that's just the expression. The Rams ended up with a pretty easy path to the Super Bowl. And then they like imploded more or less two years later. So all of those things that happened, I think all three of those teams, the Rams, I don't know if they would take an undo of it. But like 
those three decisions of paying draft picks to pay a quarterback. And again, they did not extend Stafford until after they won the Super Bowl. But they knew that his, they knew when his deal was coming up. Uh, yeah, but if they hadn't won the Super Bowl, his contract probably would have looked a little different. Have you different. fact-checked that, by, by the way? I have. Okay, that is what that is. It what, is 100% confirmed. Okay, all right. He signed the contract in 2022. So they had some flexibility with Stafford at the very least. Yeah. Uh, because which, in and I did double check they had to this. Pay for I, that flexibility. There was a 19 million left on his signing bonus that accelerated on the Lions cap that you, as the team trading for him, don't get. That's why trading for a player who's on a contract yeah. is different than. But you understand. But the listener, you know, it's different than trading for a player and immediately signing them to a new contract. So. I, I, this is why, like, I'm answering, like, why did it make sense for the Seahawks to trade for Quandre Diggs if he was under contract? But that's, like, the element that, you know, I think people don't think about. And also, you gave up, like, a six-round pick and not two first-rounders. These deals have backfired kind of over and over and over again. I mean, pretty much every time you trade multiple, like, in trade first-round picks. picks for a player, it's not a good idea. Like, we have enough evidence by now. We could close the book on that. Something the Seahawks have loved to do for a long period of time. I mean, I, I and again, <laughs> 0 for 3 on those decisions. I, I would really hope that it's something that they don't do again. Me too. Uh, uh, because it just, it, I mean, like the Jamal Adams trade set the team back. It, well, I don't, they actually managed to tr- transition it, very quickly. As we talked about last October, maybe like The September. domino, the one domino that leads <laughs> to the highest domino. Like of, you don't want to change anything because it all led us to the point yeah. of the Russell Wilson trade. So I, I think it all makes sense. Everything makes sense from everybody's perspective. And like Lamar Jackson's going to end up with a good deal or whatever. But for these teams, when they're looking at it and they're like, if we're going to, we don't want to go through the process of like hashing out this deal with Lamar Jackson just for the Ravens to match it. And that's a deal that might make sense for us. And we don't want to sign Lamar Jackson to this hypothetically guaranteed deal to an injury prone quarterback and then also pay multiple first round picks for him. Right, people keep saying that Lamar Jackson is on the market, which, sure, in terms of you can have a conversation with him, he's on the market, but if you sign him to a contract that is reasonable, the Ravens should just match it. Yeah. And if you're paying we'll him more than it. that, then why why wouldn't the Ravens just match it? Like, you know, there shouldn't be any excess net value if the market works correctly. And if they, but so if they're signing, if another team is signing Lamar Jackson to a deal that the Ravens wouldn't want to match him at, right? Then you have to pay him that money, and also pay back to the Ravens multiple first round picks. Assuming you go the the rather than the trade offer, right? Right. yes. Right. I kind of love the idea of Gino being on a prove it deal though, where it's like literally last year he got paid five million dollars, uh, seven with the incentives, I believe. But like the base salary was five, three and, and a half. Three and a half? Yeah. Oh, my God. And then got up to seven at the incentive. So it's just like, like, I like that the Seahawks can take the victory lap for it and that Gino could take the victory lap for it because it's like, the Gino's making a hell of a lot more money than he did last year. For sure. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, he was already, as he said repeatedly last season, making a lot of money just to be, a, is it back up in the NFL? This is life-changing amounts of money, even you know if he doesn't see the entire thing. It was awesome for Gino. I, I, I don't know about the quarterback thing. So here's, the, here's what I'm going to say to you that I've come to in thinking about this over the last 24 hours. Okay. 
I think there are two options for the Seahawks, and that's either they trade down or they take a quarterback. One way or another, a quarterback will be taken with the fifth pick, which I think was my original prediction back you do, in you do not buy that 2022 season recap bold predictions. You don't buy that the Seahawks will draft somebody else. But now, unless Jalen Carter's... Uh, There's no fucking way they're drafting Jalen Carter. It seems unlikely at this point, I given two charges against him. Jalen Carter is falling far. So if he's not going to go fifth, to me, a quarterback has to go there. That you know, at some, at that point, you've only got one non you know non quarterback who's willing who's should go in the top five. Basically, I don't even really know who we're talking about at this point. Like, obviously, Young and Stroud. Yeah, Will Anderson. Question mark? It is, it is interesting. I mean, Pete Carroll made the point on the on that interview that like there's fewer scenarios to play out when you've only got four people ahead of you, and that is true. Like the universe of players you have to consider is smaller, but there's just so many question marks now about who those those players would be, and it feels like he, one of the things he said is you know there's a lot of very good players in this draft i will tell good you our fight yesterday do you think anthony richardson could go ahead of the seahawks pick right now april 21st pelton cast live you'll see danny kelly and with the third pick in the draft danny kelly has anthony richardson being selected well i i i have come around on that possibility he also has jalen carter being selected by the seahawks at pick 5 which that gets a uh, what day did he update this I mean, if Richardson is that high, you would think it was... That's what I was thinking, wave. is it would have been post... Well, let's see if he mentions the... I have not seen a tweet from Danny about it, though. So. Yeah, we don't We don't yet know how Carter's recent arrest on misdemeanor charges... I mean, I do think... I think it's... To me, it's less about Anthony Richardson's combine and more about uh, Joe and Carter's arrest. It's about Anthony Richardson's combine, though. You don't get drafted third in the draft and have it not be about that. He's a quarterback who people are excited about. Like, again, but the reality is there might not be a quarterback selected with that fifth pick because all all three of those quarterbacks are caught ahead of them. Then someone will draft Will Levis with the fifth pick. Because that's the one of the things about a run on quarterbacks is then you have to be sure that you get your guy because someone else could trade in, someone else you know, could take them unexpectedly. It ramps up the pressure. That's why they're called runs. But what if it's quarterback, 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 quarterback? I, I suppose that poss- that possibility. And then the Seahawks draft Will Anderson with the fifth pick. Then that seems like a good outcome. It probably is a good outcome. Yeah. Uh, I I think I guess I do think with the structure of this Geno contract that there's a chance they draft a quarterback. Always was. Uh, I'll say, I I think that they, this is more of a one year deal than it is, which it wouldn't be a very good one year deal because then you'd be paying forty million for one year of, of Geno Smith. It's it'd be a better two year deal, and you know then you transition to a, court, a rookie quarterback after that. Geno would have to be very. Bad, but but it's a one year deal. It let's say you draft a quarterback. Yeah, it's a one year deal for Geno, knowing that he's the starter for at least a season. Unless barring, he gets beat out, exactly. Barring something questionable happening, I still think the Seahawks are willing to take that L on that extra money 
just in case, because the quarterback position sure. is obviously the most important position. And so being able to have... If, if the quarterback is ready to play, then, I mean, it's that's still a good outcome because you're getting starting quarterback pal- caliber quarterback play from whatever the dead cap for Gino would be at that point, combined with the rookie salary for the pick, would still not be as much as most yes. teams are paying their quarterback. And, and I think that even if Gino has like an average year, they draft a quarterback, and Gino's, they're just like, we have to hand the team over to the next quarterback the next year. They're like, this was a worthwhile risk. He could also be tradable in that scenario. Yes. So I, I kind of think it works out in every perspective. I guess I will say that I'm I'm more on the, on the end of, also because it'll be more riveting podcast content. <laughs> Live podcast content in April. No, and I again. April twenty first, Belltown Yacht Club. It's almost sold out. I don't know why we're hustling it that hard. Buy your tickets, but it'll it's be just, it'll be sold out by the time it's riveting podcast content. But I, I want a court, quarterback because everybody wants a quarterback. And having a quarterback, we know what Geno Smith is. Well, yeah, I don't know if we we know Geno Smith's ceiling. I think. Yeah. I mean, the ceiling he showed in the first half of last season was pretty high. I don't think it's realistic to expect that over a full season, but it's not impossible. I think it is quite difficult to win a Super Bowl with a quarterback who is not near the top five in the NFL. (laughs) Except for Matt Stafford. Yeah, I was going to say. But again, you can can go on one lucky run. Well, yeah, but that's the point. As randomness exists. So can the Seahawks win the Super Bowl with Geno Smith? Sure. No, I'm not saying that they can't. I'm just saying the the point of the excitement about the rookie quarterback is the rookie quarterback could be one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah. And I don't, I just, it, it would still be pretty hard for Geno. I think Geno could be in the top 10, right. 12. I don't think Geno Smith is going to be one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. Agreed. Now, when we're counting quarterbacks, again, I read the story from ESPN that was trying to justify why the Giants sign Daniel Jones to this. And they're just like, well, they see him as being a perennial top 10 quarterback, which again is nothing he's ever been in his entire career, even including this past season. And I was like, when we start doing the counting of quarterbacks, this is what I love when people say, when they're like, he could be one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. No way he'd be better than these 10 players though, right? When you start counting the 10 players who are probably ahead of... Oh, don't look at QBR. That shit overrates running more than anything. It does. He was sixth last season. Gino was seventh. Don't even fucking give me QBR over here. It's a useless stat. It is not a useless stat. Where's Lamar on there, by the way? He didn't play enough, probably. Uh, he was... No, he was ninth. Anyway. One spot behind Jacoby Brissett. Well, look. We all know Jacoby Brissett's a top-ten quarterback. But... When you factor in all of these rookie quarterbacks, it's kind of like the top 10 becomes a lot more complicated, right? If all of a sudden there's four quarterbacks drafted in the top 10, some are going to be good, some are going to be bad. It's just getting into the top 10 of quarterbacks is a very difficult thing to do. And investing $40 million or whatever that deal's going to end up looking like for the hope that somebody gets there is a really dangerous thing. And that's fortunately not what the Seahawks did here. Yeah. They they didn't they didn't give Geno Smith the you played well in the first half deal. They gave him the this was your overall season. You played well in the first half. You didn't play as well in the second half. 
You're 30 fucking two years old or whatever. I mean, frankly, I think they got to give him the you were a backup for nine years before having this great season deal. It's all of it. So, yeah. Uh, some other news from that Pete Carroll interview. Carroll said the Seahawks have picked a replacement for Sean Desai that the team hasn't yet announced. Also said that Carl Scott will take a larger role with the size departure after serving as defensive passing game coordinator and defensive back coach last season. He'll add a senior assistant <clears throat> title. Uh, gave Scott, you know, a, a great deal of the credit for the strong play of the secondary last season. Uh, Carroll also confirmed the addition of pass rush specialist Brandon Jordan to the coaching staff. He'll join the Seahawks from Michigan State, but uh, has also worked as an individual skills trainer with NFL players, including Seahawks, Uchenna Nuosu, Al Woods, and DK Metcalf, as well as pro bowlers Jadevian Clowney, Chandler Jones, Von Miller, and TJ Watt. So this is something that Pete Carroll was very fired up about bringing him in. So... You're scrolling through the mock draft. You got anything, any any other takeaways? <laughs> you, you haven't quite gotten to the Seahawks number twenty. That's my pick right there, Jackson Smith. Do you know Michigan. that? I mean, that's who I want them to draft, Jackson Smith Nyigba. If they if they drafted Jalen Carter again, we'll see what's up with the legal stuff. And Jackson Smith Nyigba, like this would be a fucking slam dunk draft. You would certainly feel good about the Seahawks chances in 2023 if they did that. They they wouldn't have figured out quarterback, but. Uh, Long term or whatever, but I am okay with that. I'd also Darnell Washington would be kind of cool. Um, yeah, I would be so excited about this draft, but also like Danny being a Seahawks fan, <laughs> just like I feel like we're gonna be kind of on the same page, right? Uh, and and I do think that the like I I don't know anything about Tyree Wilson, but you can also see like he's a little bit older than some of the players who are in the mix. It feels like it's a little bit bigger of a question mark of like, if that's where the Seahawks end up, I would be less excited. Depends where they take Tyree Wilson. If they take him at five, yes. If they take him at nine, sure. depends what they get in return. Yeah, that, that's definitely a difference. I mean, I want as many picks as possible. I'm still trying to get that 2024 Carolina first rounder. It's gold. I mean, he has Carolina trading to the third pick to take Anthony Richardson. Okay. So, we'll see. And look, maybe the Seahawks. The, the Seahawks There's also a so lot of vocal about quarterbacks that it it just it kind of reeks of somebody trade with us. Uh, again, everything they've said thus far has turned out to be true. So I don't I don't think it's just that. I mean, I don't think it hurts that it, from that standpoint. But uh, I mean, also like we still got so many twists and turns pick left. Four, I don't think the Seahawks are going to give up a ton to move up a pick or whatever. But like. If they could figure out a way, if they were just like, that's our dude, Will Anderson. Right. Get him. I'm sure they could figure out a way to get there. Uh, they have plenty of resources to do so. Get uh, him in here with Brandon Jordan. Free agency starts next week? Yeah. Kind of wild. We're actually here. We are here. <sighs> I expect the Seahawks to not be involved very much. I would mostly hope they are not involved that much. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've primarily kind of sat out for agency. I mean, the Shannon Nuoso signing being an, an awesome one that we we're excited about. But yeah, beyond that, if that's the kind of... I mean, you've got, if you've got this, 
you've got this many young players already on your roster and this many draft picks coming in. You just don't have as many holes that you need to fill in free agency. And that's the place you want to be in as a franchise? Yeah. Question mark? <laughs> no, the Seahawks are in a good place as a franchise. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, it was just a callback. <laughs> the Seahawks are in a good place as a franchise? <laughs> Find out April 21st. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.